0: Okay, I'd like to say a few things next on um, uh, on the effect of rape on a victim of rape, uh, uh, because so far most of what we've been looking at is trying to understand this behavior, in a sense, from the point of view of the assailant. Why does this happen? You know, what's going on here, um, <clears throat> and uh, uh, the response of the victim um, is an entirely different thing uh, and is an entirely different topic unto itself. Um, by the way, this is something that we would talk about a lot more in abnormal psychology class. We'd be talking about um, the fact that a lot of um, victims of rape are liable to uh, develop some stress, some trauma-related illness, like post-traumatic stress disorder or something along those lines. Um, uh, let's see, um, uh, and um, the good news is that um, we do have some, um, some effective kinds of therapies for folks like that one of the things to realize though is that um uh following a rape many times people go through a period of um um i forget what the what the usual term for it is but um, they're essentially trying to hold things together they're trying to not admit the rape to themselves trying to keep things as being okay in their life and not wanting to tell anybody about it for a good long time uh, a lot of times and then after a while, those, um, uh, those emotions and, uh, memories and things come back, uh, much more strongly, right? So there's kind of this period of, uh, reorganization or something like that, where, um, where it might not be obvious. Um, uh, and, um, but that's true for other things with, them um, people's responses to trauma. We kind of, um, a lot of times we, we revert to uh, just what we know and you know, getting through the day kind of stuff uh, for a while um, before some of this stuff hits us later. Um, uh, people who are raped are at increased risk for suicide um, and many other kinds of problems, too. Uh, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, uh, and so... Um, I'd like to talk about this more now, but um, uh, that's not exactly what this chapter is about. So um, so how do we prevent rape? Uh, there have been a few different kinds of strategies uh, to do things. Um, legal deterrence, uh, educating potential victims to avoid rapes, and uh, changes in social systems overall. Uh, legal deterrence are going to tend to focus on you know, um, having more uh, police out on patrol, having tougher laws, uh, more rigorous enforcement of things. Um, The angle of educating potential victims is often going to be things uh, to um, essentially um, empower individual people to make them less likely to be victims. Uh, This would include some stuff like um, like some basic self-defense. Uh, some um, uh, some safety in strange situations, kind of behaviors. One thing you got to be careful with with this is that um, that there is the potential here for this to sort of imply that if you do things right, you're not going to be raped. So people who are raped must have done something wrong, right? Does that sort of make sense? So we get we can get back to that potential for blaming victims. Um, you know, what if we have somebody who goes through a lot of courses to prevent Being raped, like self-defense and safety awareness, and all kinds of stuff like that, and then she's raped. Does that mean that it's her fault uh, because you know, or that those kind of things, or even just the existence of um, uh, uh, tips for avoiding rape? Does that mean that somebody who is raped did something wrong? Right. So we've got to be careful with that, and that's certainly not um, uh, not the Uh, message Um, but um, uh, learning empowering things for a person themselves Uh, and social systems changes uh, essentially trying to change uh, some of those social scripts um, having to do with uh, attitudes about males and females and their relationships and uh, attitudes about dominance and attitudes about romance and attitudes about sex right um I um <clears throat> I would um actually be optimistic that this is our best chance um but um <clears throat> uh, but this is taking a while. Um, let's see uh, resources. Um, there are a few different um. Uh, uh, kinds of resources available. There's a national rape hotline um, that you know I'd like to have people know that um, that number. Um, uh, one agency in Wake County that I really like is Interact. Uh, Interact is um, uh, has services for um, people who are victims of domestic violence and and uh, and rape. Um, and uh, Interact does a lot of different kinds of services. Uh, I think they're a United Way agency, so they get some. Uh, Uh, some money's there but then they also do their own fundraising um they have like a a thrift shop on their premises that's a really a cute little shop i mean it's really nice uh and um uh interact uh takes um you can donate old cell phones to them and they'll repurpose them uh, for people who may not have a cell phone but may have need of an emergency phone and stuff like that um uh, they're a good group. They're on um, Oberlin Road, I think. Okay, let me stop there and... uh, Whoops, no. Not stop there. Let's go on to sexual harassment. Um, uh, Sexual harassment. uh, Sexual harassment, uh, slide number 34, generally a matter of civil law, not criminal law. Um, And so definitions of sexual harassment have evolved over time as different uh cases have gone to trial uh and been decided by judges and juries and um uh, so, um, so definitions of sexual harassment are, in a sense, in flux. Um, essentially, uh, sexual harassment is going to be defined on two things. That, um, that there is unwanted uh, sexual behavior that persists even beyond when the person says it's unwanted. Um, and that can be a matter of a power differential or a hostile environment, or both. All right. So the first thing is that um, uh, that persistence of the behavior. Uh, most um, most courts uh, have um, come down on the side that usually just doing one thing is not going to qualify as sexual harassment unless it's really awful, unless it's really flagrant. Uh, you know, showing your genitals to somebody at work or something like that, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, but um, but if it's unwanted uh, uh, comments or jokes or compliments or um other things like that it's usually not going to be regarded as sexual harassment the first time um, but if the person says look i'm uncomfortable with you saying that or doing that or talking about those kind of things or i don't want to hear that kind of stuff and then it persists then that's liable to be regarded as harassment so essentially for most kinds of behaviors um, the person is allowed a warning <laughs> um, but you have to give them that warning uh, again unless it's something really egregious um uh, sexual harassment doesn't always involve a power differential uh it is possible for there to be a power differential and this would usually be essentially where um uh sexual harassment um uh, is used uh, the power differential is used as a as a uh, force of intimidation like uh if you do this sexual thing then you can get a raise or if you don't do this sexual thing or if you don't tolerate this sexual thing being done to you then you're going to get fired or something like that right um, and so often there's this power differential um, that power differential can show up in a lot of different kinds of situations not just uh, employee and employer um, but uh, uh, teacher and student um, uh, other kinds of supervisors, uh, you know, other kind of things where there's some kind of power differential. Um, <clears throat> uh, but not always. It's possible for two people who are at the same level of power in the social situation uh, to sexually harass one another. Um, so it's not always about a power differential. This is referred to as a hostile environment. Um, this would be where, uh, uh, essentially, if you find yourself in a hostile environment, uh, and you report that um, to somebody who should be able to change it, and they don't change it, uh, they don't address that hostile environment, um, then you have grounds for sexual harassment. So that, um, uh, you know, if people are telling dirty jokes in the workplace, and you find that hostile and you don't like that, um, or, um, you know, having um, inappropriate pictures around or calendars or whatever. Um, And, um, and it's not always, uh, it's not the case that the victim would have to prove that this shows, causes them some direct monetary harm. Uh, Just having this hostile environment is harm enough uh, to show sexual harassment. Um, uh, Slide number 35, here again in civil law, uh, they'll tend to uh, adopt a reasonable woman standard, so the um, uh, judges and juries are essentially going to be placed in the position of putting themselves in the position of the victim and thinking, would a reasonable woman see this as sexual harassment um, in that position? Uh, there are laws that would protect against retaliation for reporting so that if some if you report somebody for sexual harassing and harassment and they do something to get back with you, they're in trouble for that or essentially breaking the law and doing that right. Um, sexual harassment is often a special case for, um, for uh, uh, employee law and employee, grievances uh for a lot of things if you have um, a problem with things in the workplace you have to go through a chain of command you know a through your boss up to their boss up to their boss and that kind of stuff and sexual harassment um is uh typically regarded as something you don't have to go through the chain of command because uh it may be people in that chain of command who are either uh, you know that you're accusing of harassment or you know could be implicated as protecting that person or other things like that so um you can go right to the top if you wanted to uh, let's see causes of sexual harassment. Um, uh, motivation for sexual harassment seems to be about power more than sex. Um, uh, we had a president some years back whose name was Bill Clinton, and um, he uh, got involved with a um, sexual relationship with an intern. And um, uh, while he was in the White House, and um, uh, Bill Clinton later said. I did this for the worst possible reason. I did it because I could. And, um, <laughs> I think that really kind of gets to this idea about power that, um, that he felt like he could get away with it and that, um, you know, that's what power afforded him in a sense. Um, and you see that a lot in cases of sexual harassment, that this is essentially abuse of power. Um, <clears throat> uh, again, here we find that, um, people, uh, men who are, uh, are likely to sexually harass are more likely to endorse gender stereotypes uh, and things like that. Um, uh, and um, this uh, is probably not news to anybody, but um, some men interpret minor pleasantries as sexual interest. Um, uh, you know that this is true, that um, that uh, uh, men are liable to um, interpret uh, compliments or things like that as uh, sexual interest. Um, Misunderstand that stuff. Uh, sexual harassment of college students. Um, I don't know about this statistic. Thirty percent of college women have been harassed by an instructor. Um, now, honestly, um, you know, in my experience, I've known a lot of professional women who spent a lot of time in college, and almost all of them has a story about a creepy professor, right? Um, so maybe that's true. <laughs> maybe it's true uh, that um, that it could be that high. Uh, I'm hoping. And, you know, I saw some of that when I, particularly when I was in graduate school, um, professors sexually harassing uh, uh, students. I'm hoping that's less common than it used to be. Um, uh, Schools can be held liable if they ignore it, so if it's reported and the school does nothing about it. Uh, Let's stop there. We'll pick up the next segment with um, uh, violence perpetrated against children, sexual violence against children.